Campaigns, the actual play podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is Secrets, Lies, and the Undead, our 13th Age campaign. Now, unfortunately, due to some unforeseen circumstances, basically meaning I forgot to hit record, we are missing the first episode. So this will be a brief introduction of what you missed, and then we will continue on in what will be episode one, but was actually supposed to be episode two. So what you missed in the first episode was the introduction of our main characters. Uh, The first being played by Caleb is Corbin. Now Corbin is a former street rat that became a thief. He uh, was sort of adopted by Cornelius, who is a kindly old man who runs a museum uh, in the city of Mayhold. This museum is based around all the icons throughout the various ages. And Corbin would go on missions for Cornelius retrieving artifacts and special items that he wanted in the museum. There's definitely an Indiana Jones type vibe with him to an extent. There was also some secretive history with Cornelius. One, how did he have the knowledge to transfer to Corbin to give him this training? But also the the local town, particularly the Thieves Guild, seemed to to fear or respect Cornelius. It was never brought out, but Prior to becoming the ward of Cornelius, Corbin often had trouble with the local thieves guild and some bullies, but once Cornelius sort of tucked him under his wing, all that stopped. Our second character is Thidel, which is a half-elf ranger being played by Scott, who you may know from the Fae Deadlands games, who plays uh, Titibiake Martin de, de Jesus, uh, also known as Titibuts, and he, um, is, he will, he's a ranger, he's also a bounty hunter, but uh, tied into his one unique thing is that his character always wears a mask and it's kind of like a wooden kabuki mask but it is enchanted in some way that it's almost like a mood ring but not exactly in that the uh, the mask will sort of mirror either his character's emotions or maybe the surroundings so for example it doesn't actually change its shape or form but the veneer on the front may turn a dark red if his character is angry or maybe embarrassed It might turn to a stonework pattern if they're underground. It can sort of make frowny faces or smiley faces, uh, depending on the emotion, an arched eyebrow, if there's a quizzical moment. And then our third character is being played by Matthew Parody, who's been on the podcast a couple different times. He's playing Ravage, who is a half-orc barbarian, who uh, tied into his one unique thing is that he may or may not be connected by blood to the orc lord, icon but he definitely has some storm giant blood in him somewhere and when he rages it has a localized effect on weather patterns essentially if he rages long enough thunderstorms kind of blow in and depending on how long he rages different things can happen so those are our characters you met each of them and you learned that corbin was uh, had noticed that cornelius had started being a little anxious um, suspicious maybe fearful He'd gotten a series of letters, and despite Corbin's best efforts, was never able to get a hold of them, and it seems that whatever information these letters contained was the source of his aggravation. But Cornelius was business as usual, and he had asked Corbin to go um, into the area outside of Mayhold, which is the city they're in, that a new cave had been discovered, and he thought that there was an artifact inside that he wanted retrieved. So 
Corbin gathered up his compatriots, Thidel and Ravage, and they set off. And they quickly found themselves ambushed by some lizardmen. It's almost as if the lizardmen knew they were coming. Now, we did a lot of this sort of improv and role play. We, we actually started at the end of the battle where they were fighting the lizardman king. And then we worked backwards to figure out how they got there and how the party came together. But the long story short, they all agreed to go to help Corbin. They were able to defeat the lizardmen, though the king did escape. They were unable to find this artifact that Cornelius had sent them after, but they did find a hidden scroll inside of the lizard man's like throne that indicated that the three, who are uh, three dragons that make up one of the icon relationships in 13th Age, and particularly the blue, was interested in talking to Corbin, and the letter said something along the lines is that his protector is now gone, uh, we want the boy for questioning, you may kill the others. So being kind of freaked out, uh, they made a pretty hasty retreat back to Mayhold to find that, surprise, surprise, Cornelius was dead. He had died under some mysterious circumstances and his body was found by some guards late in the evening uh, at the museum. No obvious wounds, but they believe that he might have been poisoned. And even though this had only happened a few days ago, he had already been interred into a mausoleum in the nearby graveyard. So obviously uh, Corbin and his friends thought that there was some strangeness around this and they wanted to do some investigating so they go to the museum to learn that the city council had already uh, selected and and placed a new curator, a man named Chambers, who was not too pleasant to Corbin and told him under no certain terms he would not be allowed to live in the museum any longer and uh, he could gather his things and go and he was put under armed escort to go to his room so Corbin was unable to really investigate much at the time or, or, or look anywhere outside the ordinary. He was promptly thrown out on his keister and uh, they decided they wanted to kind of regroup and we established that there was an there was an old gnomish crazy lady with a bunch of cats that lived nearby who had a sprawling mansion and multiple guest houses and that Corbin had used these in the past as a safe house. So our characters are holed up in the basement of a crazy cat lady nearby the museum and they are deciding on their next plan of action. So that is what you missed in episode one. In our second episode, which starts now, which I'm calling Never a Good Idea, our characters are still trying to decide on what they're actually going to do. And that's where we will pick up in our second episode of Secrets, Lies, and the Undead, episode two, Never a Good Idea. So, previously on Secrets, Lies, and the Undead, are three adventurers, Sidel, the half-elf ranger, with a mask gifted to her by the Prince of Shadows, Corbin, the uh, young crypt-seeking thief who was raised in a museum by the kind old master and taught the ways of acrobatics, and ravaged lots of names of uh, the giant-blooded half-orc barbarian, and you were trying to decide what you wanted to do there. If I remember correctly, there was trying to find the guards who were actually working the night that the body was found. There is trying to to sneak back into the museum and see if uh, Cornelius left any hidden messages for Corbin and their known hidey holes, or go to the graveyard where. 
Cornelius is buried and find out uh, if there's anything to learn there. So if I remember correctly, those were our three options. So uh, if you guys want to discuss amongst yourself and let me know what exactly you guys want to do. Oh, good. So you're not sticking us with our original plan that we left last session with, which was split the party three ways and inevitably get in really bad trouble? I thought it's your, it's your option. That, but I was going to pretend I didn't remember it either. Good. I like that. <laughs> what would you guys like to do? I had my solo adventure already, uh, and uh, and it didn't go well for me, so I'm going to go ahead and defer to the grieving and ask him what help he may require. It's your show, Indiana Jones. Where are we going? <laughs> I didn't want to go there. I'm glad you did. Uh, well, I definitely want to break back into the museum, but I want to do that at night, and I might need to do that alone for stealthiness reasons. So we should... What you're saying is we should go um, dig up the corpse in the middle of the day, all three of us together, because those aren't the same requirements? Uh, yeah, because no one will notice it during the day. That's a good plan. That's true. No one goes to graveyards during the day. That's the rule. I've also heard this. Jogging was not popular in medieval times. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. There were no iPods. Well, we could certainly talk to the guards during the day. Yes, but if the guards that were working when they found Cornelius worked the night shift and still worked the night shift, we'd have to hunt them down at their houses, which seems incredibly suspicious. I don't know. It might lead to better information if we're sitting at their table next to their kids when they, you know, all wake up for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. I'm all about standing outside the museum for a piece while he... Uh, bumbles around because i know i'm not going to make any stealth checks for a piece a spell <laughs> yeah hmm. all right corbin so it sounds like it's your decision what do you want to do huh well how about this it, it is it this is the day after everything happened last time um i actually think it's the same day i think it's that evening because you guys you, know, you went to the gnome house and planned Ravage went and talked to the guards. You went into the museum. You guys met back up after and started making your plans. So I, I think it's kind of getting towards evening. I'm going to say it's like 6 o'clock in the evening. So you probably got another hour or two before it would be dark. Ah. Okay. Let's call us out on our mistakes because there's no first episode. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. Well, let's, let's, let me ask this. Uh, what is, what is the, what would the distance be between where the guards might be that we could talk to them and the museum. How close in proximity are they? Well, th there will be like smaller guard stations that are scattered across Mayhold, but those guards will be somewhat randomly assigned and rotated. There will be a main, almost like a precinct that you would probably want to go to and they could tell you where those guards would be. And that's going to be more in the center of the city. So it's probably say a good hour's walk. Ooh, and okay. uh, the, the graveyard is actually right next to the museum. I, don't, I think I mentioned that last time. That, so those two are close together, but the guardhouse is further away. Huh. I have changed my idea to helping Corbin in the window and then going with my friend Fidel to dig up a dead body. Not a bad idea. And we'll use the bleeding unicorn symbol again as help. What was that sound again? We didn't capture it last time. <laughs> There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Your bleeding unicorn sounds a lot like a goat. Hey, you haven't spent enough time around goats or unicorns then. <laughs> true, true. All, all you have to do is saw one horn off, 
Bam, there you go. Tiny unicorn. You make a lot of money that way. Okay, yeah, so I'm good with jumping into the museum after it gets dark. Okay. And then if these two want to poke around the graveyard, or if a guard happens to be walking by and they recognize him, they want to broach the subject that way, that would be fine. All right, so Corbin is going to sneak into the museum, and Ravage and Thidel are not, and Ravage and Thidel are going to go to the graveyard. Is that correct? Yes. All right, Corbin, give me a high or low? High. Okay, so you know your way around the museum probably better than anyone. You're a lot like Brandon Stark at Winterfell. You know where all the places to go, hide and climb and all that kind of cool stuff. So it, it doesn't take you very long to find a open window that either is unlocked or you can probably jimmy it pretty easy. Maybe it's, it's, a, it's a lock that's been replaced several times. It's just never really set right. And you find your way into the museum. The museum is already closed. Now, Cornelius lived in the museum. He had sort of an administrator's office, and then adjacent was like a small chamber where he slept. You don't know if the new guy, Chambers, uh, is living there or not. You did not see him leave if you were watching, so it's entirely possible that he is still inside the museum as well. Uh, it's very dark. There are pretty much no lights in the museum. There's some light coming in from outside, but it is very, very dark. However, we're going to switch over to the other side first. So Ravage and Thidel, you guys are making your way to the, the, the grave. Now, do you guys have any idea where you're going, or you just going to start looking around and see what you find? If we weren't given the information of where he was buried, then I imagine we'd have given the information of which, um, which of the graveyards he was entombed in, but not where in the graveyard. Or is this town well known for its excessively large graveyards? Well, it's not excessively large, but um, there are quite a few. It, it, it's going to take you a little bit of time to find it. Um, are, I think we I mean, just they're, they're not more. sorted alphabetically or, say, by date of entombment? Uh, no. All right, so, Caleb, so you found your way into the museum. Now, in my mind, this museum is three stories. There is a basement level, which is where most of like the new artifacts are kept. They're being unpacked or they're being put together. All right. Um, there's the main level, which is most of the exhibits. And then there's the upstairs, which would be the majority of the books. Now, you have at least one hidey hole on each of the floors that uh, over the course of your time with Cornelius, he has shown you. The one upstairs is a book that has some pages cut out. It's a, a, a giant tome that like no one has read in forever. It has the most boring title in the world. And, you know, there's pages like a hole cut in some of the middle pages so you can hide things there. The other two, I'll leave up to you as to what they are, where they are. Which one would you like to go to first? Well, I'm going to assume that the window that was probably easiest to get into would have been on the ground floor. We'll start there. Okay, so this is where the most of the exhibits are. Right. All right. So, so you tell me, where is your hidey hole in the exhibits? Like, what, where is it hidden? And, uh, you know, what, what kind of thing is it? Uh, this spot is actually in a, um, uh, in a display about the Prince of Shadows. Okay. Um, and... <laughs> little, little meta there, don't you think? Maybe. Maybe a little bit. 
Um, if it was the King of Shadows, then it would have seemed like a different age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this display, there's not a lot of physical pieces or artifacts or items because of the nature of the prints. It's mostly written stories or accounts, kind of anecdotal tales that have been put together by Cornelius and other people. And some of them have maybe artist representations or models or little displays, things like that. So is it like a, a hidden compartment in a painting or is it like a stone that you move off of one of the displays? In one of the paintings that depicts a, a theft uh, of, a, uh, of really important um, jewels that they think the prince did himself, uh, there's actually, in that painting, there's a chest of drawers and there's a secret latch. And it actually opens the chest of drawers like a real chest of drawers through the painting and we can stash some secret things in there. Excellent. Okay, go ahead and roll me a D20. No modifiers? Um, I know what they are. Oh, shit, that's a six. Okay. Again, the lighting in here is quite poor, but you've grown up in this place, and a lot of your training with Cornelius was actually navigating this place at night in the dark anyway. So you are quite at home here, and you are able to, without any trouble, navigate down to the Prince of Shadows display, and you start looking around, and before long, you're able to find the, the hidden latch, and you're able to open the hidey hole. And there is a scrap of parchment that uh, was not there the last time that you checked. I will grab that and make for the next one. Okay. I want to get the info and get safe. So I'm just going to hit them all and try to get back out. Okay. And then are you going downstairs or upstairs for the second one? Upstairs. Okay. So you will make your way basically back almost to the front. Go ahead and give me another D20 roll. Hey-o. All right, that one's a little bit better. As you're making your way through, right about the point where you're about to hit the steps and go up upstairs, and in this part, it's uh, like the ceiling above you goes all the way up to the second level. So there's like a balcony up where the books would be. If you were up there, you could look down. You hear the scrape of a foot on the stair above you. So it kind of does like a turn, so you can't see, but you're pretty sure that there's someone else in the museum and that they are trying to hide from you. So I hear this noise on the steps leading up to the balcony. Yes. You would imagine that the prop person was probably in front of you, maybe trying to anticipate where you were going, and uh, maybe you caught up a little quicker than, than they expected. So as they were going up the last couple of steps, you just heard a quick little tap-tap as they probably got off of the stairs and onto the actual landing. So they're probably like 15 to 20 feet above you on a curving, big, you know, granite stairway. Hmm. The stairs are going up in front of me. On this second floor, um, is there any better light through any windows? Uh, yes, there are actually some, like, skylights and, and arched windows, and they do get more light than the lower levels. So it's better lit up there than anywhere else in the library right now, or in the museum. Okay. My idea is to use my shadow walk skill to teleport up to the balcony without going up the stairs, 
to a spot that I would be aware of where I would not be in the light or seen in the light, but I'd be able to make use of any ambient light to see who's there waiting for me. Okay, so one thing I, I, I just I want to make sure that we're on the same page. So is, is your shadow walk truly like a supernatural ability where you physically move through space and time? Or is it just sort of a metaphysical representation of how sneaky you are that you're able to dis- disappear from people's view and move at will? I'm going to say it represents an actual teleportation. Okay. So something about you, your bloodline, or your training that you are able to cross into like a shadow world that's a, a parallel world to this one. You can physically move through that, and then you can come back into your space where you want. Does that work? Yes, but I don't know how or why. It could it would make sense to come from either the Prince of Shadows or the Threes in my relationships. So, yeah, I, I don't know, but it is a legitimate teleport. Okay, so you do that. Now we're going to jump back over to Ravage and Thidel. All right. So you start work, making your way through the uh, the graveyard, and for the most part, this is a graveyard that is connected to the to the town of Mayhold or to the city, but... Um, it, it's actually quite sporadic. It's not rows and rows and rows of tombstones. It's more like a large open field where there's like, you know, copses of trees. There's probably a small stream uh, that leads to like a pond somewhere. It's a very just idyllic sort of setting. And there are these just little groupings, like four or five tombstones here, probably all part of the same family. Nothing extremely wealthy. There's not these huge mausoleums, though there are some mausoleums. They're just not these massive ornate ones. Uh, so it takes you a while, probably takes you a good half hour, 45 minutes to just sort of wander along the path and try to find any, anything that makes sense. Uh, both of you give me a D20. Boom. Excellent. So you continue to make your way and, and you, you kind of come across a small rise. And this is where you see the stream and it comes down. There's a small little pond. And next to it is probably the largest mausoleum that you've seen yet and it's one of the few that you haven't inspected so your mind would say this is probably the way to go so you start making your way down uh you approach it and it's probably i'm gonna say it's about 20 feet wide about 30 feet long about nine feet tall carved out of of stone it's pretty intricate it's it's definitely the most ornate that you've seen and there are lettering on the front where the the door would be that indicates that this is um, Master Cornelius and it has a brief uh, epitaph of, uh, you know, his works in the town and what he's famous for, that kind of thing. But there doesn't appear to be any way to open it. How do they have time to build this, I wonder aloud? How long have they been planning his murder? <laughs> I must have constructed this thing months ago, started contracting with the stonemasons. They don't work fast. I feel like we should, at the very least, remember the words. And, t- and tell Corbin what they say, or or maybe even do a, a scraping. But I definitely don't have any paper on me or a crayon. <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and take some time and inspect it to see if I can find any secret doors, entrances, chambers. Okay. In this edition of D and D, as a even a half elf, I don't get a bonus for that, which is really too bad. But uh, I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, go ahead and give me an intellect roll. Ooh, I'm pretty average at that. 
<laughs> hey, and I rolled average. <laughs> and you rolled perfectly average. Okay, um, Ravage, what are you doing while Fidel pokes and prods at the mausoleum? Um, I would like to... Now, was uh, was Cornelius of any import, or was he just, a, you know, a, a museum caretaker and he really didn't have any standing in society? He didn't have any official standing, but speaking to Corbin, you know that there was something about his past that gave him some sort of authority, maybe like the Thieves Guild feared and or respected him highly. Mm-hmm. And even if, if you ever brought it up with Edmund, Edmund would kind of brush it off and be like, you know, he's just like a doddering old fool. We just let him do his thing. But you always sense that there was a little bit more to it than that. Would my backgrounds in court politics help me uh, understand maybe anything about his burial? Mm, I'm going to say no on that one. Good try, though. A for effort. <laughs> Then you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna glance around the uh, I'm gonna like look at the it's he's in the ground right and there's a there's a tombstone I mean he's not well no it's it's an actual like mausoleum oh it's, it's like a mausoleum a, yeah it's it's a granite building with a door that does not appear to open okay I'm gonna use my wisdom I'm gonna just say to uh, look at like the the you know the earth and the and see what kind of traffic this area has had or or you know, if people have been standing in a particular place too long. Okay, go ahead and give me that roll. Just as standard D20. Yeah, it'd be, it'd basically be a search check, so it'd be intellect. Oh, okay. So I have no plus to that, so there we go. Boom. Yay! <laughs> the leaves are green. We are champion investigators. <laughs> <laughs> Scooby-Doo, you are not. <laughs> no, I am Scooby-Doo. <laughs> oh, that's right. Hey, we, we, we found his body, Caleb. He is entombed in a building. It is 10 feet wide by 20 feet long by about 9 feet high. There is a you really the pretty tree on it. that building. There and you go. Beautiful. He was Hope really old man Wilson the whole time in a rubber mask. <laughs> you, uh, you start inspecting <laughs> the ground, and you do notice that there's some tracks. You're an experienced enough uh, wood person to know that there's, there's definitely some tracks. You're having trouble discerning... Is it because it's a recent burial and there's been recent work? If there's just been visitors, it's really kind of hard to tell. But you find yourself kind of walking around it, trying to get some perspective, which conveniently leaves Sidell completely alone when he is attacked by surprise from behind. My favorite. Yay! Uh, with a 22. Holy shit. That'll hit. I think that'll hit everybody together. All, <laughs> All right. So... You, you're kind of, you know, your hands on the mausoleum and you're inspecting some of the really intricate scroll work and carvings and trying to see if there's anything secret about it. And you're completely unaware as this creature, what actually hits you before the claws and the teeth is the stench of death, because apparently you were um, upwind from it, as this creature reaches around, grabs both hands on your chest and starts raking opposite and then bites on your neck like a vampire, dealing eight points of damage and also making you vulnerable to undead attacks until the end of its next turn. So at this point, we will roll initiative. Yeah, something I can maybe be good at? I don't know. Well, you're not involved yet because unless oh. he screams, you don't know anything about it. Gotcha. Bleeding unicorn. Bleeding unicorn. <laughs> Damn it. I bombed initiative. That's good. Bombed in a good way. That's a thing, right? 
Yes. Yeah. It's you're the bomb at initiative. I the bombed initiative. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Yes. Roll twenty. Good. No, put the slash first. Yep. There we go. Hey. Oh. I just go on. So the creature, um, which go ahead and roll an intelligence uh, for me, Fidel. Hey. I'm not so stupid after all. You would recognize this as a ghoul. Oh, um, as well as it's it's somewhat dripping water, so you imagine that it was hiding within the pond and has come skulking out now that fresh meat has arrived. Uh, you also know that once you are hit by a, a ghoul, it makes you susceptible to further attacks. There's like a weakening of your body and resistance. So its next attack gets some bonuses. Oh, until the end of its next turn. Delightful. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good. So that is going to be an 18. I believe that will miss you. That will. It will rebound lightly off of my otherwise reasonable armor. Okay. So rather than trying to, like, jump back and reattack, it just kind of tries to uh, regrip, dig its claws in a little bit tighter and bite on you a little bit harder, but it just doesn't able to find purchase. You start to squeam and squirm a little bit, and uh, so it's still draped over you. It's got its right arm is over kind of around the right side of your neck, left arm is under your left arm, and it's biting the back of your neck like you're a baby kitten. What would you like to do? Well, uh, this doesn't seem like longbow range or even really greatsword range, and my dagger really sucks. So I'm I'm gonna make the the universal sound of dying unicorns. To this point, goat. Our symbol's clearly unicorn. I'm inspecting this tombstone. <laughs> Someone's having goat tonight. <laughs> Sound more like an orgasming unicorn. I'll, I'll let that one go. Yeah. There is a unicorn breeder on this side of the marsh, I know. Ravage, go ahead and roll a perception check to see if you heard that bleeding unicorn. Come I on, big bucks no whammy. Big bucks no whammy. Stop! Yay! It was a goat! Yes, you, you hear something, but it is not clear. You are not aware of any sort of danger. I'd like to think... That I am so in depth in this tombstone that I li- that it, everything else is just non-existent. And I'm just like, oh, rocks, yes. Well, actually, what well, what happens is you start to see some footprints, and you're like, you know, those kind of look like ghoul footprints. <laughs> <laughs> I better follow those. I like yes, yes. Can I do that, or am I following them backwards? <laughs> yeah, you're gonna follow them all the way around the other side <laughs> oh, of the pond. Oh, this is where the ghouls live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going right, to an edible arrangement. So you yes. still have your action. Yes, after my free action of, of the the baying of the hounds, we'll, we'll go for a, uh, oh, am I actually grappled? Do I have to? You are engaged. You're, you're not grappled by the rules, uh, but you are engaged. Oh, okay. To um, be married to a ghoul. Oh, that's delightful. I, I will. That's the type of ghoul you want to take home to mom. Uh, you know, lacking anything else any more exciting than uh, this, I'm going to go ahead and draw a dagger, which is easy, and stab sort of backward over my shoulder. Have at thee, ghoul. Have at thee. Uh, that's going to be a really disappointing roll to attack, as I believe. Oh, no, that's not bad. Got a nine to hit. Classy. That will miss. Yep. Trying to go over your shoulder, and also you know ghouls, they're... You know they're they're undead, so there's a lot of their body really isn't 
doesn't really hurt it. So your your knife probably found purchase in a place that just doesn't affect the creature at all. You gave him a earlobe piercing. Yes. All right. So are you going to try to call out again to Ravage? It's the end of my action. I used my free to say something. I could try and keep baying uh, next round, I assume. Because, um, I mean, for humorous effect, the, the bleeding unicorn was kind of funny. But if you really want to yell out, Ravage, save me, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, if things are getting really serious and I want to draw a bunch of attention to our grave robbing, then I will go ahead and do exactly that. Okay. So, Ravage, you clearly hear Thaddeel yell out. It's kind no, of I mean, I, when, when, it, when that comes up, I, w- I will do it. But um, okay. I, I won't scream out so loudly yet. Maybe he'll come around the building. I don't know woman. that he didn't hear because we have this agreed-upon signal, and we've practiced it so much, and we've spent so much time around unicorns that happen to be dying, I just assumed that my impeccable impersonation skills should immediately alert him to my situation. Right, so you don't want to alert the ghoul that there's help coming, so you're going to play along like you're alone, so that Ravage will have you get a free attack. You're luring this ghoul right where you want it. Oh, right. all right. So, so the ghoul at this point is kind of basically going to sort of push you forward really hard and like slam you into the mausoleum door and then scrape at you again. However, the, the ghoul doesn't do very well. So you take no damage and it actually spins you around. So you're now back is against the mausoleum and its arms are outstretched like on your shoulders. It is now your turn. Oh, I, uh, well, once again, just in, just on the off chance that he may have missed my first perfect impersonation, I'll use a free action to to put up the the bat signal. We'll say. Fantastic. Okay, so this time your bleeding unicorn rings out. It's it's quite clear. Ravage starts to slowly dawn that these do look like ghoul footprints. Hey, and that kind of sounds like a bleeding unicorn. And one plus one equals 11. And you start rushing forward toward the front of the mausoleum. Fidel, you can still take your action. Good. I'm, uh, now that I have a little bit of room between the two of us to maneuver, I will drop my dagger, draw my greatsword, and attack with it. Hopefully, uh, are we at an uh, action die of plus one here? Uh, actually, I have not done that yet because I don't feel like you have gained any momentum. Right, correct. You, you basically you, you're getting your ass handed to you right now. And I continue to get my ass handed to me as my great sword swings wildly wide of his outstretched, extremely vulnerable arms, and uh, maybe ricochets off a stone wall <laughs> to the side of me, shaking me all the way to my tiny elven bones. Yeah, it was the not so great <laughs> sword. I, I imagine that you weren't very proficient in the samurai art of, uh, was it Ichi, Ichigo or something, where the sword comes out and goes back. That's what you tried, and it was just wild. The sheath went one way, the blade went the other. My pants fell down. It was just a mess. <laughs> nice. All right, Ravage, go ahead and roll. Actually, I'll just have you come in at the end. I think that makes the most sense. All right. So the goal, goal, the ghoul will go once again, trying to attack Fidel. This time we're going to hit successfully, so you take an additional eight points of damage. Is it basically just breaks your neck and your clavicle right here, uh, sinks its teeth into the front of your neck this time, and you are vulnerable to its attacks once again. So if it hits you next turn, it's going to be really bad. What, what, what is bloodied again? Half hit points? Third hit points? It's, it, it's staggered and it's half. Oh, I am not yet staggered. Bring it, right. Ghoulie. It, it is now your turn. 
Excellent. As I turn the corner and see my friend Fidel uh, seemingly having an intimate moment with what looks like a ghoul, I will be drawing my large blade and taking it down upon the ghoul, hopefully viciously. Viciously. Is that a critical threat? Um, I don't think that they do that in, in this. I think it's pretty much a 20 or nothing. Hmm. Yeah, right. if I was Unless raging, have... I would be, but... Unless your talents or powers let you threaten at a higher range, it's 20. Yeah, no, I, I don't have that one, so that's just me. Did I hit him? Yes. Boom. Nice. My sword comes down, and I like to think it cleaves right through his arms. They don't come off, so you didn't cleave <laughs> them, but you clove into them. Okay, I'll take that. All right, so things are finally starting to shift in your favor, Fidel, so we will put the escalation die at one. Oh, thanks. Now that someone else has come around to not suck like I have. <laughs> this is just a repeat of the, the lost episode all over again. Yeah. I mean, looking dramatic <laughs> and then failing over <laughs> and over. If I start sucking, then yes. Yes, yeah, so you roll the 19 at first, you'll you'll suck the rest of the game, and then the last roll of the night will be a 19 again, if it's anything like the first one. Yes. All right. So the ghoul seems to basically be ignoring Ravage, even though the sword came down and chopped into his arms. He's still focused on you because you're vulnerable, so he's going to go ahead and attack you. And he is going to miss. You are lucky, lucky, my friend. Hey! took off that pinky. Yes. That pinky that almost got you, that was the one that I took off. That was the one that's gone. Yeah. So he was like, ah, oh. And it had, it had a really long nail like a Coke spoon, so you, that was his favorite pinky. Okay. All right, I, I will. I will. Um, can I shift to the side? To I know flanking isn't a thing in this system, but is there a gain advantage from positioning it at all? That that's part of where the uh, escalation die comes in. It sort of represents all these little maneuvers you're going to do. So you can do it, you know, to make it sound good, but it doesn't have any additional. I, yeah. I shift to the side so that we're on opposite sides of the ghoul, and I'm no longer being raked into the poor mausoleum, and take a a wide, powerful swing with my greatsword. Much better than I have. I believe I hit. Yes, I do, because uh, that hit before. And I roll my extremely pathetic elven damage. That wasn't too pathetic. I got a minus one penalty for damage. Yeah, that, that's pretty bad. All right, so your sword comes up, kind of rakes it against the gut, and his sort of wet, glistening, rubbery skin opens up, and some of his rotted intestines start to fall out. And there's already a pretty awful stench to begin with, and it actually kind of redoubles itself. And it's not like it's an attack, but there's just like a glowing smell in the air. It kind of makes it kind of hard to breathe. You kind of start to cough a little bit. And Ravage, you see that happen? And I see it as an opportunity to place my blade in this creature's body yet again. And I will thrust thusly. Yes. Huzzah! Yeah! Nice. Six is our number. Yes. All right. So the creature is well staggered at this point. You see it sort of take like a half step back. And there is a bit of intelligence in the creature's eyes. And it sort of turns first to look at Thidel and then looks at Ravage and looks back at Thidel. And you can almost see the wheels turning in its mind of whether it should stay or whether it should go. And then it lets out sort of like a shrill... Almost like a, I can't do it. Very similar to like a Native American, like la 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 la. Oh, um, no. It lets that out, and then it actually starts to come back at 
um, Seidel once again. This is when you see or hear some splashing in the pond behind you. You take a quick glance to look over and you see two more heads coming out of the water as two more creatures are coming out. All right, so we're going to jump back over to Caleb for a minute. Perfect. All right, Corbin, so you manifest this manifest this power that you have that allows you to shift between worlds, and you find yourself in an even darker version of the museum, and it's a place that sometimes scares you. Like, you've gone here quite a lot, and every time you've come to this version of the world, it's always been completely absent. You don't see any, like, there's no other life. You don't see birds, you don't hear crickets, you haven't seen people. But there's something in your mind that tells you that you're not alone when you're here, and it's best that you not stay too long. So you quickly run up the stairs in this virtual sidestepping world. You find your your spot that you want to come back out. You slip back into your world. And a couple of things that you notice right away. One, there are three people at the top of the stairs. They are all dressed in pretty much in black, uh, very ninja-esque, but you also would relate that to the shadow bats, that they often dress that way as well. Yeah. And you can see that there is a large number of books that are basically been pulled off the shelves and just thrown in the floor. Some of them have been flipped open. Some of them are like ripped in half. It clearly looks like somebody has been going through these books in a hurry as if they're looking for something. So they are still unaware of you. What would you like to do? Okay, so I'm envisioning that they're kind of on the second floor, and I might have zipped up to a spot under a window. Okay. So I've got a little bit of a height advantage. Okay. Uh, go ahead and give me a intelligence check. Uh, oh, I'm smart. Hold on. Yeah. 17. So there's something about their placement that seems a little bit odd to you. And as you kind of maneuver and get into position, you know, that they're not in like an ambushing position. They appear to want to just stay hidden. Like they're just trying not to be noticed. Are they all like right next to each other? No, they're spread out. There's one on either side of the stairs and there's another one that's pushed back probably about another 10 feet along the balcony, just inside of one of the stacks of books. All right. I'm going to make this reference only because I was playing the game today, but I'm totally going to take this like a, uh, a predator challenge in Arkham City, and uh, I'm going to try to take down each one silently. Okay. And if they die, they die, because I'm fucking pissed off right now. Fair enough. I want to go for... real shame when it turns out they're your contacts in the Thieves Guild, your, your, your father's friends, and they're trying to save him and find out what happened also. I hope that's not true, because as far as I know, I don't have those contacts. But we're going to see what happens. Um, I'm going to go for the one that is uh, kind of off by himself back in the stacks that you said. Okay. How uh, Am I near to him? Am I far away? You're probably two movements, but you can move part of that distance in the real world just by kind of circling around through the stacks, and then you could move over to the shadow world to get up right next to him. Okay. I will do that. The The wording of Shadow Walk says that when you come back into play, you can show up anywhere you would have moved normally during your turn and deal double damage with your first rogue attack on that turn. Okay. So if it takes me two turns initiative to do that, that's fine. Basically, I want to port in right behind this guy 
and knife to the vertebrae. Okay. So the way that makes sense to me is that you would actually shadow walk first, basically wait a turn because they're unaware of you, and then shadow walk again, reappear, and then that way you have your action. Not that it really matters. So basically, it works. You're right behind him. He's completely unaware of you. Do your best. All right. Um, well, then I'm going to do... All right. I am going to use tumbling strike for my attack as I come out of this. Okay. Because it means I can, after a successful attack, use a quick action to disengage. So it's basically a move, attack, move kind of thing. Gotcha. So I'm attacking at uh, 5 versus AC. 1d20. Ah, only an 11. Okay, uh, I'm giving you a couple extra bonuses because he's completely unaware of your presence, so that is actually high enough. Wouldn't that just deny him his dex bonus to AC? It, it doesn't really work like that in 13th Age, though. Man. I gotta um, keep misapplying the wrong rules to the wrong systems. <laughs> There's so many less rules and more rules. It's so confusing. <laughs> yeah, because this would be a perfect example of sneak attack in 3-5, but not technically according to 13th. But that's okay. Um, now, I will do double damage, which will be a little just so 10 doubled is 20. Okay. So you stab him in the, the neck, I assume. And um, he I'm... basically just, in my mind, like he's already kind of crouched down, almost like a uh, sprinter just before they go fully on the block. So, you know, like one, one leg's kind of back a little bit. His, both his fingers are on the ground. He's kind of hunched over. And he just collapses down on top of himself, almost like a balloon letting out the air. Go ahead and roll me a quick dex check. Would this be for a disengage attempt? No. Well, fine. <laughs> Fifteen, then. Okay. So as he starts to sort of deflate, his body actually shakes a little bit, and he starts to hit one of the stacks of books, but you're able to grab him quick enough so that he doesn't knock anything over or make any noise. Cool. So this was a complete Sam Fisher, Batman Arkham style moment. One kill, one hit, no sound. We're going to jump back to the other side. So, Seidel, you have a ghoul in front of you who who looks really bad, even for a dead thing, but has just summoned two more ghouls that are medium range away, that they are coming at you. So what would you like to do? I am going to... See, I am engaged. Does that mean I have to make a disengage roll to back up? Correct. How do I do that? That is a, basically it's a straight saving throw. It's just a d20. You have to get 11 or higher. All right. If if I fail, do I still get to use my disappointingly crippled action? Yes. All that means is that you don't get to move. Oh, well, good. I uh, completely fumble at getting away from the ghoul. Okay. I take a step back, and he lurches forward, and we end up kind of dancing for a moment, and our lips get close together as you do on sweet late-night dance floors, and uh, the stench is just overpowering. I mean, it's it's almost melting the outer layer of skin off of my face singeing off my nose hairs, little smoke trails coming out. So uh, I'll go ahead and try and hit him with my sword again. You're Stabbing things is a good thing, right? Although I only rolled a d10. Yeah. Correct, disengage. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder I did so bad. Oh, and now I critically <laughs> <laughs> So the story stands. <laughs> yep. Okay. Story, story stands. All right. All right, here we go. Here we go on the 
still uh, plus one on the acceleration die. Um, actually, it would be at two at this point. Okay. 22! We'll hit. Good. And then my you kill him, damage. I can move on to the other guys. That'd be the hope. Six damage! Lucky number six. That takes the ghoul all the way down to one knee, but does not finish it off. Oh my god, he's proposing on the dance floor! <laughs> my elven heart is touched. You are up, sir. Uh, okay, so you said they're medium distance away. Yes. So that would be more than one turn to close the distance with them? It would be two moves. So if you double moved, you'd be there, but then you'd be out of action. Right. Can I take a javelin and heave it towards them? Yes. I believe there's a negative two penalty for that because it's uh, medium range. Right. Okay. So. so that would actually be a plus two still because it's oh, what's it? Because it's a second round, right? Correct. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna ready a javelin and heave it at the rising ghouls from the pond. Our flawless battle strategy. The ranger does all the melee combat, and the barbarian skirmisher does all the ranged. Stay back! Yay! Fetch! Fucking fetch! Your your javelin goes sailing through the air and splashes harmlessly in the pond. Uh, You can either drop or take a negative one penalty throw. Okay. So that is back to the top, which is the ghouls. So the ghoul that is present is going to attack. So actually, uh, it's at three now, but it doesn't affect the ghouls. The ghoul will attack uh, Thidel with a 20 to armor class. Yeah, that'll hit me. Okay, so you take eight additional points of damage, and you are vulnerable to all undead attacks, not just his, until the end of its next turn. I am. The, I'm definitely staggered. Okay, the two ghouls finish rising. They're completely out of the pond, and they start sort of, it's not really a shambling zombie-like walk, but it's, it's a stilted sort of walk. It's not deft. So they close one distance. They're still medium range, but they're like halfway to close. That is their turn. Sidel, it is your turn. I'm going to use my quick action to cast Heal. I believe that just allows me to take a good old-fashioned recovery. Okay. I get back nine hit points. I needed those bad. That was your best roll yet. Thanks. Hey, uh, uh, Ravage, roll me a d20. A d20. Straight up? Yep. So average. Yep. So you are not paying any attention when uh, Thidale casts this spell. If you remember from our yes. episode that doesn't air, that apparently when he casts healing magic, his mask reacts in a weird way. So you yes. did see it the first time. This time you just weren't paying attention, but it, it did happen again. Gotcha. All right. Thidale, anything else on your ex- or your turn? Yes, that was my quick action. I'm going to roll to disengage again. Maybe if I'm lucky, I won't roll a one. Fourteen! All right, you are able to disengage. It's probably easier now because the ghoul has kind of fallen down a little bit. Um, so in my mind, you're kind of almost like where like the front porch would be of this mausoleum. Uh, Ravage would be to your left, its right, and you have taken a step to your right, its left. So now the ghoul is kind of between you and Ravage, even though... Ravage isn't really attacking it, but that's just how I see the spacing. And there's just a slight bit of a incline, so you're like, like a one foot up, like a two foot little hill that goes up this way. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I will. Does that count a um, move action, or is that a free action disengage? That would be your move action. Okay. In that case, I will 
drop my broadsword, just littering weapons everywhere in this graveyard. Ooh, it's a move to draw a bow, isn't it? I'm honestly not sure. Do we have to look it up? Give me a high or low. Uh, high. Yes, it is, uh, at least for this turn, it is a move action to draw a bow. Okay. Heave the greatsword yeah, up. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Throw it. I'll... Works for Braveheart. She's going to come back at me. I had a friend throw a great axe. I'm at, uh, while I'm disengaged, I can still stab her at him, can I? Or does that re-engage yeah. me and squander? Yeah, yeah, you would be engaged. You have to be engaged to fight with uh, those weapons. And, okay. Um, I'm going to use my standard as another move and get further away from him. Okay, so you basically come up a little bit higher, so you're now at the crest of this small little hill, and uh, you can see behind you there appears to be more forms further off into the graveyard coming towards you. They're so far away you can't tell if they're human, if they're zombie, if they're ghoul, but there's definitely humanoids, other humanoids in the graveyard that are making their way towards you. Now I know why medieval times no one went jogging. Because it's terribly <laughs> dangerous. We're all going to die. <laughs> You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at therpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at therpgacademy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash therpgacademy. We also have a Google Plus page, therpgacademy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.